0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today very warm welcome everybody you're watching sportbox let's get into your headlines this hour lower for longer the fed vows to keep interest rates near zero until 2022 and to support the economy until it recovers from the COVID crisis. This is the central bank forecasts the U.S. will contract 6.5 percent this year.
1: We're not thinking about raising rates. We're not even thinking about thinking about raising rates. So what we're thinking about is is providing uh, support for this economy. We do think this is going to take some time. Asian equity markets and US futures trading
2: firmly in the red after the Dow and S&P end a choppy session lower, diverging from the Nasdaq, which closes above 10,000 for the first time.
3: A delivery deal, a European food group Just Eat Takeaway snaps up US rival Grubhub in a $7.3 billion all-stock deal, beating Uber to the top seat of the table.
0: Shares in internet giant NetEase rally in their debut day of trading in Hong Kong as Chinese companies face increased scrutiny over their Wall Street listings. Amazon says it'll freeze police use of its facial recognition technology for a year and the criticism it was used to track protesters in the wake of the death of George Floyd. very good morning, everybody. Let's start with the Federal Reserve, because I think the next 24 hours will be spent largely combing through the commentary and the Q&A just to find any nuances that may open up any opportunities around valuations and pricing in the market. Fed officials then have vowed to keep interest rates near zero until at least 2022 to help support the U.S. recovery from the virus pandemic. At their latest two-day, meeting, policymakers voted unanimously to keep rates steady at between 0 to 0.25 percent and to continue with bond purchases. The central bank also unveiling its first economic forecasts since the outbreak began, saying it expects U.S. growth to contract by 6.5% this year. Unemployment is seen hitting 9.3%, with the Federal Reserve adding it will take years for joblessness to return to pre-virus levels. Well, speaking at a news conference, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said the central bank is still looking for signs the US is emerging from, quote, the biggest economic shock in living memory.
1: In March, we quickly lowered our policy interest rate to near zero, where we expect to keep it until we are confident that the economy has weathered recent events and is on track to achieve our maximum employment and price stability goals.
0: And the Fed chair also responded to recent optimism about the better-than-expected employment data in May.
1: Many forecasters had been expecting uh, a bottom for the economy around the middle of the year, with, with a huge range of uncertainty. I think the labor market... The, the, the evidence of one jobs report is that the labour market may have hit bottom in May. We don't know that. We're going to see. So the underlying message, we
0: are in this for the very long term. It is going to take some time, says Jay Powell, for the economy to recover its previous vitality. And that was a sobering message for equity markets. It didn't keep the Nasdaq back, though, did it? We did close through that. 10,000 level that we've been discussing over recent days here, and it just ploughed on through as those technology companies continue to attract money and investors focused on these growth sectors continue to ignore warnings about outlying earnings going forward, about unemployment, about weakness in growth and all the other macro data. So the US markets gave us a bit of a split decision. Uh, The bond market, though, I think was pretty unanimous in the way it dealt with the news from Jay Powell. And let me just have a wander over here so that the director can frame his shot so that you can get a good look at the way the Treasury curve behaved here. And let me just take a look at the number for you because it was I think a nine basis point move on the 10 year which is the biggest move the biggest drop in yields that we've seen in about two months here so a unanimous vote from the treasury market as to where they think interest rates are going at least and what they view the impact of the weakness in the US economy to be on the yield curve and of course uh, there was no significant policy change from Jay Powell's announcement but this continued focus on yield curve control just has people in the bond market nervous about the way the Fed will behave when it comes to suppressing interest rates to keep borrowing costs low. So what does that mean for the dollar? Well as you would anticipate the the dollar saw a little bit of weakness on the back of the move on yields here, but we are seeing something of a fight back this morning as uh, cable pushes back below that 127 level. Um, let's have a look at the Asian markets because I think the the sober tone of the Fed's commentary and the pros- prospect of weakness in the world's largest economy is obviously not a great story for those countries and companies that want to sell into the US economy. And we did get quite a bit of pullback in some of these major Asian indices. And I will just flag up one other piece of information. I don't know whether you would have seen it, But the Chinese lending data overnight was weak. The new bank lending number in China fell more than expected. The money supply number looked fine. I think the broad aggregate M2 indicated that the authorities are doing what they can to try and improve credit supply. Not necessarily being borrowed, though. The uh, new bank lending numbers were actually below expectations here. The Shanghai Composite, though, such is the nature of the markets at the moment. You get a bit of bad news and everybody wants to buy stocks on the back of it in expectation that the authorities will step in and do something. Because they always do, don't they? That's The view at the moment that it doesn't matter how bad the news is, somebody in official uh, land is going to step in and say, well, we need more stimulus or we need to help investors out of uh, their current um, uh, problems. So this is what happened in the Asian session. Let me show you what the opening calls indicate for the European start of trade. Well, they look a little bit like uh, where they were yesterday at this point and ultimately... They did improve a little bit to the open, but it was a bit of an indifferent trading session uh, through the whole of the European trading day. And the US futures, the notable thing about the US futures is that they have opened in negative territory. uh, And that implies that we will get a weaker start to the US trading session. But of course, at this point, it is worth uh, just reminding you that we are still a long way from the start of the trading session right now. And I will just flag up for you one other thing. We did mention copper firmer yesterday. Copper, again, having a reasonable day. You've got to ask yourself, is that about the prospect of reopening of the economy or is it about the lack of uh, fresh inventory in copper because uh, the miners are clearly adjusting what they think production should look like in terms of the growth opportunity. Anyway, let's circle back and let's focus on Jay Powell's message and the important jobs data that we're likely to get later. U.S. initial jobless claims are expected to slow this week as America's economy continues to emerge from lockdown. Weekly claims are expected to come in at one and a half million this week. That's lower than the near 1.9 million posted last week. Today's data follows May's record-breaking payrolls report, which showed employment actually increased by 2.5 million. But the jobless rate remains in double digits. And of course, the key number for the economists will be continuing claims. And um, the fear is that that may uh, continue just to edge a little bit higher. Well, during testimony on Capitol Hill, U.S. Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin said the Trump administration is, quote, seriously looking at more stimulus to help businesses reopen.
1: If I were king for a day, I'd say we should spend the next 30 days looking at a lot of different things that will be in that bill. We're going to need money for business to encourage businesses to rehire. I think we're going to need to fix unemployment. We're going to seriously look at whether we want to do more direct money to stimulate the economy.
0: Meanwhile, White House economic advisor Larry Kudlow told CNBC he believes the worst is past. We are
4: turning a corner. We are transitioning. And I think having rebuilt this economy once, I believe on the president's leadership, we can real build it a second time. The hurricane and the snowstorm and hopefully, prayerfully, the virus is passing and we get back to the incentives that gave us such a terrific economy.
0: Larry Kudlow, well, Christopher Jeffries, head of inflation and rate strategy at LGIM and joins us now. Christopher, good morning to you. Um, What did you make in the round of what we heard from the Federal Reserve in terms of what it now means for 10-year yields and the Treasury curve?
4: Yeah, morning. Um, Well, the Fed didn't deliver the yield curve control that some in the market were looking for, but they gave us the next best thing. Um, Pretty firm uh, intentions to be keeping the Fed funds rate on the floor for the next two and a half years. A rate of QE purchases that pre-coronavirus crisis we would have thought was extraordinary. Um, So it's clearly... Um the uh, liquidity spigots are still turned fully on from the Fed, um and looking at supporting market pricing with the with the follow through to economic activity, hopefully to come.
0: We've um We've just seen the largest ever 50-day rally in the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000, and we know what's going on with the Nasdaq here. Uh, And yet when Jay Powell was asked about the Fed's responsibility in relation to inflating asset prices, he basically dodged the question and said, we're focused on employment, not asset prices. Uh, What do you think that means then in terms of uh, the Fed's um, actions going forward to manage both uh, credit expansion and uh, speculation in in financial assets. Um, How's this going to end, Chris?
4: Yeah, the change in tone here is pretty extraordinary. So if we think back um, to the last cycle, we had members of the FOMC talking about feral hogs in the high-yield market um, being uh, something that was of concern because of tightening spreads. There's absolutely no hint of that from the power-led Fed. Um, And I think it's a sort of broader global point The central banks and reserve managers have now bought up assets worth around 30% of global GDP. Um, So their their focus is very, very much on inflation mandate and in the Fed's case, their dual mandate. Um, It's not on kind of concerns around um, around financial conditions that may be too loose. I mean, that, that is a problem to be addressed another day. I don't think there is a clear strategy for how to get out of these policies yet. Um, But um, but as I say, that's a problem for another day as far as they're concerned when you're looking at the kind of unemployment rate um, that we're seeing quickly.
2: Christopher, I know you're an inflation and rates expert, but you must be casting an eye to that market Jeff mentioned uh, and the equity markets. And everybody literally we have on this channel is incredibly concerned about asset price values as well. But given what we've just said about the amount of money that the Fed is still pumping into one asset class at least, uh, is it right that, our, our, that the market is trading at these kind of levels and perhaps could even go higher? Or actually, would you uh, advise extreme caution?
4: Uh, so I joined this kind of chorus of voices saying have got to be careful here. Um, when we've seen such a torrid uh, bounce in equity markets in such a short period of time, it's hard not to think that there's some vulnerabilities emerging, um, especially when we think that the, kind of, the ultimate shock that caused all this was uh, the coronavirus and the associated lockdowns in um, economic activity in the last part of the world. Um, that virus sadly has not gone away um, and the thing that I guess investors need to be very, very careful about is any signs of the re-emergence of, uh, of the virus and the re-emergence of the economic kind of restrictions that have been associated with it. But there are, you know, some signs that suggest we can't, we can't rule that out. Definitely. There are, you know, there are, there are worrying numbers coming out in some US states. There are worrying numbers coming out in the Middle East. Um, and I think you know, investors kind of ignore that at their peril.
2: But but let's make a couple of assumptions. Let's say that the money and the largesse that's been given by central banks and has been placed in markets has inflated assets in the stock market and perhaps other asset class, well, bond market, gold, what have you. If, if that's happened to date, if there's more money coming in from those said central banks, then surely it will be the same effect, which would act in the opposite direction to all those fears that a lot of us have.
4: Yeah, I think it's about expectations, though, isn't it? So it's not the sort of mechanical link of the day on which the, the Fed chooses to buy treasuries or mortgage-backed securities that that flows on that day into the equity market. Um, investors in the market kind of preempt or try to preempt a uh, policy that is to come down the road. So the reason, I guess, we've seen such a bump over the course of the last week or so is the ECB is surprised positively. Uh, the Fed here is surprised positively with their commitments on QE purchases and the short end. So it's about whether they can kind of keep on – if the bar keeps on raising, can they keep on, can they keep on beating that bar that's, that's getting higher and higher? And I think that's the bit that's, um, that's, the bit that's unclear.
3: Christopher, I want to spend a little bit of time on the economic projections that we saw from the Fed yesterday for the first time in six months. And if you rake through the growth numbers, unemployment and headline inflation, it looks as though the Fed is anticipating something that does not look like a V. And the stock market seems to be anticipating a V. But this doesn't seem to form a letter of the alphabet. It takes roughly about two to three years to get back to roughly where we were pre-COVID-19. What did you make of those assumptions and the projections, and did you think that they were realistic?
4: Uh, so, actually, I thought the most interesting set of forecast numbers that came out yesterday was the OECD. So, the OECD um, published their kind of, uh, 2020 and 2021 numbers um, uh, yesterday morning, mm-hmm. European time. Uh, and there's a the kind of clear distinction now between sort of the, the, the two scenarios, one in which we do have a rebound in, uh, COVID-19 cases that is material enough to cause economic uh, restrictions we put back in place and one that isn't. Um, on, on both of those scenarios though, they still see you know, reasonably decent growth in uh, in, in next, into next year. So um, I think what you've got to kind of question is, well, is the stock market necessarily assuming some um, rocket-like rebound in the US economy, uh, in the words of the uh, US president um, the other week? Uh, or is it just assuming that we've kind of hit bottom We don't know how long uh, the recovery is going to take. We don't know what pace it's going to take. But if we can have confidence that we've hit bottom, then I think that kind of puts the floor under asset prices want I mean, to think of the what first you trajectory. made of the
3: unemployment numbers that were projected, I mean, clearly the market got carried away by that one jobs report that we saw last week, much better than expected, non-fund payrolls. The reality is we still lost 20 million odd jobs and through this pandemic. If you look at the unemployment projections, we get back to about roughly a 4.1% from uh, 2023. What do you make of that estimate where you slowly come down on that unemployment rate?
4: Yeah, that's right. That was I was about to go next. I mean, the important takeaway I think from the okay, is on the unemployment rate. Um, so, remember in the last cycle, uh, the first rate hike came December twenty fifteen. Unemployment rate at five percent. Uh, yeah, the Fed is kind of clearly signalling they don't think they're getting there until about uh, three years from now. Um, clearly, kind of the economic consensus wrong-footed by the payroll report um, that we got last week. But I think the kind of underlying message here uh, from, the, from the job market, we should kind of look through that. Kind of month-to-month volatility, even though it is um, epic at the moment. Um, and the underlying um, message is going to be uh, we've seen a big economic shock. We've seen some sectors of the economy that will be very, very slow to come back um, because of the implications of social distancing rules that are going to r- remain in place. Um, so I think that's kind of you know the key measure of economic slack that the Fed will point to and the key, clear, the key justification that they will use for keeping rates kind of anchored at the floor despite, um, despite the recovery in the growth numbers. It's, a bit, it's about the levels, not the growth rate in terms of sort of dictating when policy starts to normalize.
0: Christopher, good to have you on the program. Thank you. Christopher Jeffrey, Head of Inflation and Rate Strategy at LGIM. For more on the Fed's latest decision, including a look at the central bank's plans for bond buying, go to the website, CNBC.com. Uh, George Floyd's brother urges Congress to, quote, end the pain and pass police reform bills, as a top White House advisor insists, systematic racism does not exist in the United States. We'll have more on that developing story after the break. Also ahead, the WHO's director general says the agency, quote, can do better after issues of conflicting messages about the coronavirus. We'll have more on that story when we return.
5: Stop us from being tired. George called for help and he was ignored. Please listen to the call I'm making to you now. To the calls of our family and the calls ringing out the streets across the world.
0: Powerful words from the brother of George Floyd who testified before Congress about the need for police reform in America. NBC's Alice Barr reports on how U.S. lawmakers are now searching for common ground to make a meaningful change.
6: In the U.S. Capitol today, as lawmakers search for a national strategy on police reform, the public outcry over the death of George Floyd at the hands of Minneapolis police became deeply personal.
5: I can't tell you the kind of pain you feel when you watch something like that. When you watch your big brother, who you looked up to your whole entire life, die, die begging for his
6: mom. Philanese Floyd speaking a day after laying his older brother to rest and after two weeks of passionate nationwide protests.
5: If his death ends up changing the world for the better, and I think it will, then he died as he lived. It is on you to make sure his death is not in vain.
6: Leaders in both parties acknowledging the need for change, though Republicans firmly denounced growing calls to defund or disband police departments.
1: The vast, vast majority of law enforcement officers are responsible, hardworking, heroic first responders.
6: Some Democrats trying to turn the conversation from defunding to rethinking public safety to address root problems. Police officers complain all the time. They're not social workers. That's right. Democrats already unveiled a proposal, including bans on chokeholds and no-knock warrants, and a national database to track police misconduct. President President Trump expected to release his own police reform plans tomorrow. Today, meeting with a handful of black supporters in what was billed as a roundtable on race relations. Instead of addressing the concerns of protesters, the president touted what he calls his achievements for the black community. SOURCES TELL NBC NEWS PRESIDENT TRUMP WANTS TARGETED SOLUTIONS WITH BROAD SUPPORT, INCLUDING FROM THE LAW ENFORCEMENT COMMUNITY. IN WASHINGTON, ALICE BARR, NBC NEWS.
0: WHITE HOUSE ECONOMIC ADVISER LARRY KUDLOW SAYS HE DOESN'T BELIEVE SYSTEMIC RACISM EXISTS IN THE U.S. BUT ADDED THE TRUMP ADMINISTRATION WILL SUPPORT SOME ACTION ON POLICE REFORM. NO, I DO NOT. AND I DON'T BELIEVE THERE'S SYSTEMIC RACISM IN THE U.S.
4: I'm not going to go into a long riff on it. Uh, black employment increased 300,000. Did you know that? You did. Yeah. Right. So that's a big win. And the black employment to population ratio went up over a percentage.
5: That's a big win.
0: Amazon has announced it's banning the use of its facial recognition software by police for a year. The tech giant released a statement saying, quote, "...we hope this one-year moratorium might give Congress enough time to implement appropriate rules, and we stand ready to help if requested." The company added, "...governments must put in place stronger regulations to govern the ethical use of facial recognition technology." And for more on that story, you can go to cnbc.com. We've got a strong write-up on the website. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe
2: Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
3: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.